In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, we're in the just beginning of a sermon series. I've enjoyed this sermon series so far. We're only two in, so so far it's been really enjoyable. And we're talking about all the things that have happened in COVID. And the main thing that we're talking about is two things. I was reading an article in the New York Times, and the author of the article, the person, his name was Dove. And the main points that he said is during COVID, when you stop like a machine, it pauses, like nothing happens. You hit pause, it stops. But when you hit pause on a human being, a human being like starts to function and starts to think and starts to reimagine things. And I imagine that's where most of you are at. You've kind of reimagined things for your work. You've reimagined things for your finances. You've reimagined, and that's kind of what we talked about last week specifically. We've reimagined things for our job. And then that shifted to this idea, the second idea. I don't, again, I don't think he's played a lot of basketball, but he described a pivot as a strategic move, which wouldn't be high in my strategic moves, but it's a strategic move. And I, this is what I liked about it. His foot, your foot is planted on what is important you're, you're like in your life, what crowd has to say. And then from there, it shifts to, you move your other foot to a better direction. And I think that's what we call a pivot. And we have that in business, but we also have that as Christians all the time. So that you've run into a lot of pivots. Maybe you, for the first time ever, you're, you don't have a commute. Uh, maybe for the first time ever, you're working from home. Maybe for the first time ever, you've had a pivot because your job has shifted to some degree, or you're looking at what well, were consistent finances for your work are now up in the air. Or maybe you're looking and saying, you know, I don't even know if I want to be doing what I'm doing because you've been so caught up in just making money and functioning and going and going and going and the trees are flying by. Suddenly when you're stopped, you're like, do I even want to do this? And so that's what we spent a little bit of time last week is just how has God made us? How has God formed us? Each one unique to say, how can I go into the world the way that God has made me and found joy? Now, for some people who are on uh, furlough or some people who are... Uh, maybe even let go and things like that. You could be rethinking things, but for many of you, I think uh, many of you are still doing your same job. As far as I know, I look around the room, I think almost everyone is still doing their job. Maybe the single pivot that we get is when we reassess everything, we say, my new pivot is no matter what I do in the job, maybe it's not your greatest passion of all time, but you know what? I'm going to do this to God's glory and I'm going to do it the very best I can so that God is honored and I'm going to find joy in that very thing. So that's where we shifted and now we're shifting into a new category and this is talking about family and this has brought up a lot of things. So some of these changes I think has been a huge thing. So some of you are parents, some of you are aunts and uncles, some of you are grandparents. This has shifted You've had a chance to think about this. The, what used to be probably the most precious thing on earth, which was family time and like this hard commodity to get to, has now for some people become an abundance. Like there's some, that's a positive way to say it, that you're now people are home with their kids, trying to have their kids go online school while they're doing work. And some of these things have changed and it's wrestling with this idea, is this a good thing? And what good things have come from it. So for a lot of people, you don't have a commute anymore. I don't know how many, if I look around, you don't have the same commute. I don't have the same commute even during this. So, I mean, I have the ideal situation. I, I commute on my bike 15 minutes and commute back 15 minutes. So now we're talking 30 minutes and I don't have to get ready for work for that time in COVID. So that's another two minutes. So I have 32 minutes that are just like back and it's mine and it's gold. And I get to spend time with my kids. My daughter was not happy. She came home from college, but I don't think she was too pumped, but her Mother and I were very excited for her to come home early, and we were really excited, and we thought this is going to be great. We're going to dance around like doing Ring and Rosie and, or whatever it's called. And instead, um, she just wasn't that happy to be home as I expected. She's kind of warmed up to the idea of parents paying for things, but it's getting there, right? So all of these are shifts, 
And so families across the nation are wrestling with this idea. And for some, it's like been an eye-opening thing. For the first time ever, they have time to go play catch with their kids in the backyard, the things that they dreamed about. For the first time ever, they're doing family devotions at home or they're getting together for Sundays and they're gathering around and they're watching it on TV or uh, they're figuring these things out. And for the most part, for many people, this is pretty positive, but not necessarily everybody. You think about the, I think the estimated 60 million essential workers and I think we have essential workers here, 60 million essential workers, that they, they still have to go into work, and now they're juggling this idea, I imagine this, like leaving their driveway, seeing their friends hanging out, playing catch with their kids, and then they got to go to work, and then they got to figure out, like, what am I going to do with my kids, and what is my kid doing with online school when I can't be there? So there's all this pressure that's happening, and they're also in this perceived dangerous environment, so this is not ideal. Or uh, maybe this situation's a little bit different for you. You're mourning the loss of a loved one. I've seen this, and it's a weird thing. If you know anybody, any relatives that have died or anyone close to you that has died, you couldn't go and see them. You couldn't go and get your last words to them. People in nursing homes are blocked off from their family. We have someone at church who comes, no one can see him. No family member can enter and see him. It's only through FaceTime that they can say hi. And you have people who are no normal funeral, no normal hugs, no traveling to go see family, and there's just this weird thing that someone you know has just kind of died in this void, and this is like this kind of painful, disappointing thing. Th it, there's also a shift. I mean, we'd say chaotic thing. I saw this comment to talk about the unknown of this that adds to the stress. So I saw this. Um, I think it's originally, I was trying to track it down from a guy named Semi-Rad. It looks like the way that he makes it. He's an Instagram guy. So this is talking about relative importance in life. So coffee has remained the same. Your car has gone down. Internet slightly up. Shaving. How many guys have you seen with full beards? Like long hair. And you, I haven't seen him forever. And you're like, what has happened? They're just letting things rip. Sweatpants. That's gone. I, I would have disagreed. I would have said sweatpants would have been a little higher to begin with. But sweatpants now uh, as a form of therapy is, is going up. And then this was the modified one I also saw on the internet. If you can hit it. This is the relative importance of masks in life. So all of this is like all leading to this high stress. And there's an author, and this is how she said it. Um, in good family situations, this is fabulous. So like if you know people who have a solid family foundation, this has been maybe, maybe the greatest event that has happened in their family, and even though it's negative, but it's the greatest thing that has happened for their family in years. And there is no other time, I think, in your lifetime that you're going to be able to experience a chance to reset and rethink about things probably ever, at least not this long. And so for the first time ever, families are sitting in these good situations, but the author continues, in bad family situations, the badness will be magnified. And we've seen that. We've seen domestic abuse go through the roof. We've seen tension. I've seen people reach out to me because their marriage is, is hitting struggles. Why? Because this is exposing difficulties that are in their marriage that maybe you could kind of skate by, you know, both going to work and both functioning and things like that. And the kids go to daycare, or however that works. You didn't really have to handle situations now. This is happening head on, and we're seeing the ramifications. Add to that financial stress, and, like, it's going up and up and up. So... The thing that I wanted to look at today, and, and I was trying to think of in a singular word, how could we, what would be a way that you could say, how would we look at our family? How do you reimagine your family? And I was trying to think of a singular word. We spent like this whole big acrostic on job, but I think with a single word, we could come up with family. And the word that I came up with was vision. 
and when the Bible talks about vision, it talks about it in a number of different ways. It talks about like prophetic vision. This is talking about like when God would go to his prophets and he would say, go tell the people this. If this happens, this, is will, this will happen. So they actually got to see the future. God was telling them. You think about how God gives visions to um, Joseph, that he, he, the angel came and, they were, and he saw clearly what the future was. God is saying, this is really what's going to happen. That's seeing the future. You can think of another time where an angel appeared to Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will give birth to a son. Right? This, there wasn't any doubt. She wasn't at home going, man, I wonder what's going to happen. Like She knew that she was going to give birth. Now, sometimes those vision, the difference between the future and what's going to happen, there's a long time between it. You can think of Abraham as God came to him when he's 75 years old and said, you will have a son and he's going to, you're going to be a great nation. And he's like, yes. And 25 years later, he's like, when is this going to happen? Right? So this is, uh, this is all going along in the vision. What, what do I mean when I say vision for your family? You don't know the future. You can't figure that out. But I think it makes some sense to sit down with one foot planted, kind of pivoting, right? One foot planted on what we know in God's word, one in looking at where the world is at, one looking at how you've experienced COVID and to say, how do I take a step forward in the future? How does our family take a step forward? So there's a couple passages. I'm actually going to give you three translations for this one, just so I get that off the screen. I'm going to let you guess which translation this one is. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Any guesses? King James, yeah, and Yoda actually translated the last part. Happy is he, because who doesn't talk like that? Uh, this one, if people can't see, this is the same verse, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. You'd have to really know Bibles to know this one. There's one called the message. And the message is a colloquial version. It's not really a translation. It's an... Um, the person reads it, and then they kind of put it into words that they think would make sense to the people. So this is um, the message. Now, one more. This is the NIV, the one we most often use, where there is no revelation. This is the same idea of vision, right? People cast off restraint. And the word, so there's a singular word. The, the King James said, the, the, people, the, the message said people stumble all over themselves. And the King James says that people perish. And this is all for the same word. And the word actually, if you kind of get down to it, is saying, it's like anarchy, and it's chaos. And I, I think you've seen that. We could use pretty simple examples, and then we'll escalate fairly quickly. But you could, you've seen things like that. If you've seen a teenager who wants a car, just ever someone you know, they, they want a car. And they say, hey, I want to get a car. And you say, okay. They get a car, and then the car sits in their driveway. And the first thing that goes wrong with it, they don't actually have money to fix it. If you've seen this happen, they didn't know that you have to pay insurance. They didn't know that, like, when things break, it costs like more money than you ever want to spend on a vehicle. I've, I've never been happy to fix my car. The tires wear out. There's all these things. So they had no vision. What happens to the car? It doesn't take too long before the car is, it was junky and now it's really junky. That's what happens, right? Have you ever seen this with pets? So we're going to escalate like one more level. Seen this with pets? How When you go to the dog, I was going to say the dog pound. No one says that anymore. What do they say? The dumb friends league, the rescue center. There we go. Rescue. That sounds way better than pound. That, could, that sounds so better. But they had pound puppies. These were stuffed animals when I was a kid. So you go to the shelter. What is the age, the average age of the dogs when you go there? They're usually like six months to like a year and a half. And why is that? Because at six months to a year and a half, dogs are terrible. Like if you've ever owned a dog, that you know, the cute puppy thing and like they bite you, like it's so cute. And then at six months, this is not cute anymore. And people, they don't know what to do. So these dogs then go to the rescue center. So they've been given up and you see that. And sometimes you see cats and why are cats there? 
because they're cats. That's why they're there. That's why. So, so this, is, this whole process is happening. You see gerbils and you see all these things because people get into it. They didn't have a clear vision of where things were going. You see this with houses. People get into a house and they didn't necessarily have the money to be able to take care of their house. There is collateral damage when you don't have a clear vision for taking care of the things entrusted to you. That is, that's, that's the same thing as on a vacation. When I, when I, you, all these things, there's damage that comes. What this passage is saying was there's not vision for in your life. When there's not vision as you function as a leader, when you function in your families, there's collateral damage. And if you don't have a vision for where you're trying to go, if you don't have a vision for your marriage, if you don't have a vision what you're going to do when you're finally uh, we're retired, there's going to be damage that comes with it. So it makes some sense to sit down and think through these things. And so I'm going to just walk through a few of them. This is not like super rocket science or anything like that. We're just talking about in the terms of vision. And so this is, I think, the easiest way to think of vision. Um, some people say, hey, I'm really visionary. Or you run into someone, they say, wow, you have a, a great vision. You may not put yourself in that category. You may say, this is not my thing. I would rather just tell me what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm going to function. But all we mean when we say biblical vision is saying, under God, what would be my preferred outcome? That's all vision is. So if you'd sit down and you, before you got married, I'll start this, if you went to school, before you went to school, you had a vision of what your preferred outcome is. Your preferred outcome is that you pass and you're done. Like no one is saying, you know what, I wouldn't mind meddling around for like six years and overpaying and then have everyone look at me and go, you're still in college, right? Like that's not part of people's vision, but everyone's got a vision as you enter it. And the same thing is true even if you've got a family, you had a vision, but this vision doesn't just come from one place. So that's what I kind of want to talk about. In a positive level, I guarantee every single one of you have witnessed other families. And as you're witnessing those families, you said, you know what? I won't mind that being part of my life, right? I would like that. That happens in the positive end. It also happens in the negative end. So as you grew up, this is probably the most obvious example that you have. You talk about your family that you grew up in, the marriage that you witnessed, and your parents and how they functioned. You you either said, I would really like that one day, or I don't. So I'll give you a simple example. My dad is a, um, was started to go to school as an engineer, ended up being a physics teacher, a high school physics teacher for 45 years. One of the things he did, and hopefully I haven't shared this story before, one of the things he would do is when we were teenagers, he'd sit us down in the car, and he'd say, when you fill up with gas, this is what you have to do. There's a booklet. So we'd open up the booklet, because anyone's parents have to do this. We'd have to write the date, the odometer, and we'd have to write how many gallons we'd put in, and we'd have to write the price of having it. And while it was filling up, my dad would figure out how many miles per gallon he got. Okay? So this is what my dad did. So whenever I filled up, which not a ton when I was a teenager with my own money, but he would make me do it. He'd hand me the book, and I'd have to, like, fill this all out. I can still picture the mechanical pencil, right? You know, the sharp ones that hurt. You can't put them in any pockets because they destroy your shirts. That's the kind my dad had. So we'd write this in. We'd fill out all this info. I can picture his handwriting. He had booklets for all our cars. We'd figure out the gas mileage. He didn't do anything with it. He didn't, like, look at trends and think, uh-oh, I wonder if I have to change the spark plugs. No, he just did it because that was his favorite thing to do. And so because I looked up to my dad and because he taught me to do this, what do you think I do? None of it. Like, I think it's the stupidest thing in the world. So, like, I never, ever look at price when it comes to gas, ever, because my dad was so obsessed with it. He would drive across town and be like, that's a great price. We should just go fill up. And, like, half a tank, this became his thing. And so I, I literally never looked. And so if there's two gas stations, this is how I determine it on vacation. Which one would you guys rather go to the bathroom at? And they say that one, right? So that's the one we go to. And I don't care what the price is. It does not matter because in my lifetime, I, I may have lost 
tens of dollars over the course of my lifetime because I didn't notice three cents different, okay? But that doesn't mean there wasn't things my dad did I didn't look up to. And I picture my dad sitting in front of us as a family and reading a family devotion, and I say, someday, I want to do that with my family. And I could tell you specific, specific things that happened, and, and, and there's on both sides, right? Like my dad played catch with me probably like 10 times in my life, and you're talking about all these boys that played ball sports their whole entire life. He shot buckets with me probably twice and played catch with me like three times, and if it ever went over his head, he would just stare at me, and I have to go chase the ball down and have to bring it back, put it in his glove. And, and I thought, you know what? Someday I want to play more catch with my son. That's what I want to do. And there's other things that I witnessed, not just from my own parents, but I guess there's things that you would have witnessed with other families. You see a tradition where a family does something at Christmas time. You think, someday I want to do that with my family. Think about a time specifically. I went to California. I worked with a guy named Steve Degner. He's a pastor, like probably one of the nicest humans I've ever met. We were there just for the summer. In the way that he would talk about his wife, in a positive way and the way that he uplifted her and appreciated her and was so caring i said that's what i want someday in my marriage right this is what happens and can you think of instances i'm guessing of families that you saw it when they go on vacation you think um, i remember that specifically there's a family that they their their grandparents said we want the whole family to go along and we're going to pay for it on this it was a cruise at the time and i thought that would be so amazing if i could save enough money to be able to take all my kids and grandkids on a cruise. My parents actually did that for us. They must have seen the same family or something. I don't know. But all these things add up, right? All these positive things add up. And you can think of specific instances that say, so over the course of time, this is like a thousand little pictures that say, what would be my preferred future for my marriage or what would be the preferred future for my family? You start putting all these places together and you start to say, this is what I want to happen. And so for us, I, I tried to narrow it down. I did not even consult Amy on this. So she's, she's in the back, and she's, we're going to hear it. So she can read them now. So we can go to the first one. These are things that we observed together. We dated a long time, so since we were uh, 14 and 15 years old. And we start to observe things, good and bad in families. And one of the things that we wanted in our family is to have a peaceful family. And I mean that in two ways. One, we did not want all kinds of arguing because that drove me nuts. And it, and it was hard to hear families that fought because I'm like, you know, the, and the, the thing I say to my kids is, the world is hard enough. Don't be hard to each other, right? The, the, there's, the world is full of jerks. You don't need one in your own house and, and to be positive to each other. But it wasn't just that. Part of it was the pace, a, a peaceful pace, meaning like we're not going to jump on every single ship that's sailing and just go, 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 go to the detriment of just sitting down as a family and saying what, what matters and chase all these things. So peacefulness was one of the things that we chased <laughs> That's ironic that I use those terms. I think you go to the next one. Education, both my parents, I said last week, were teachers. Uh, Amy works in a library, so what do we do? Education was a big deal to our kids, and we'd make sure they were in school, that they tried hard in school. The results weren't as big a deal as trying and doing their very best. When they did a project, especially a presentation, as far as my job goes, they would show me the presentation, and i go, eh. And then it would go around the family, and we'd have each person take a turn trying to do their presentation. So they're like six years old, and they're doing a you know, kindergarten, and we're like, no, we're going to have your sister try and present the same thing. And then the other sister would try and present the same thing. Then mom would sometimes present the same thing, and dad would present the same thing. And then we'd let it go, and then they would wait, and then they would come, and they would present. And then we're like, that is a presentation, right? So we always push these things when we watch movies. We don't watch a ton of movies, but the kids can tell you what is dad going to show them. 
a documentary. That's what I watch. And I try and convince him that documentaries are good. So education is a huge thing. And Amy is always bringing books. If like she has a limit of 99 books, I think, and we probably have like 50 books at her house all the time. She's always showing the kids books. You should read this book. Education's a big deal. You can go to the next one. Uh, Christ-centered, obviously, uh, that's some of the things that I witnessed growing up, and I saw it in my own family. I got to see it in the way that, like, Steve Degner talked to his wife, a Christ-centered idea, the way that uh, we wanted kids that knew their value was in Christ, and that's something we always emphasized. So when we said, like, you, did, you worked really hard, I didn't always say, like, good job and things like that. I would say, it looked like you worked really hard, and, and when they would be down, I'd say, your value is not in this sport. Your value is not in lacrosse. Your value is not in basketball. What your value is is that Christ has died on the cross and loves you. No matter what you do, there's value in what you do. You can do the next one. We can talk a long time on a lot of these. Uh, Service-minded, that had two parts to it, and I'm just giving you simple examples. That is just, it's look out for each other and look for opportunities to help each other. Even simple things. When someone is standing up and you're in the kitchen, the expectation is, is you say, hey, can you grab me a glass of water? You're happy to grab someone else a glass of water because you're, literally a foot and a half from the thing and you can get it and because someday they're going to come back around and i'm going to talk about how this goes into practice in a second uh i think i got uh, appreciate money this one's really hard um i didn't grow up with tons of money we had seven people at one point my dad i think made 20 some thousand dollars and we had five kids and so you can imagine i had a paper route i had two paper routes so that's how i, I started to appreciate money saving money the value of money and that things cost something and even as the kids grew up now that's a huge thing that we say like that has a cost to it you shouldn't just treat things poorly like this is a value to it uh, i think i got one more a character what i mean by that one and and this is just like if we would sit down and map this out um is that's moving your kids from the inside out and it doesn't take a lot to get kids to do what you want I don't think it, it just doesn't um, it doesn't take a lot to get like employees to do what you want through threats and there's a difference between that and breaking it down to um, slower results but in the sense saying God has given you these gifts God has expected these things God has uh, when I make a mistake I say I'm sorry so that inside their heart is shepherded I would use that word we're shepherding their heart so that someday that they're going to be the leader of their own family, and someday that they're going to be raising my own grandkids. And so where does this all go? Uh, I would think if I gave you a few minutes, you could map out some things that say this is what our vision would be. I know, I know some of you, um, and I'm sure you've probably already done these kind of things, like in your marriage and in your life, and you're trying to map these things out. But there's something pr pretty essential. It's not just the idea of saying this is what we want. The hard part, I think, is saying this is what we really want to actually do and so you can go through all those items i mean we could shoot these these pretty easily i guarantee i'll jump to christ-centered i mean in theory it's really easy to say we're going to read a devotion as a family that's super easy to do um i just was talking to somebody in my mind you wouldn't believe how great a dad i am but then suddenly it's 5 30 and you're tired and you don't want to function and you're like all right uh let's just microwave something and let's move on with life right and Taking the time to say, if we really care about these things, we're going to do something about it. And if I want a Christ-centered family, there's things that are hard to do. Have my kids read the devotions um, so that they're leading their own. Have the kids, even when they're little, lead a prayer. These are all things that you do. When you talk about service-minded, uh, we 
volunteer as a family on Friday nights. It's not happening now for renewed respite, which is families that have kids with special needs. The divorce rate uh, with parents with special needs is like 90%. And here's a chance where we get to go. We watch their kids while they get to go have a date. I can tell you how many times I'm really pumped to go do that on a Friday night is exactly zero. Because like the week is long and you get there and you're tired and you're thinking, you know what I want to do? I want to go and volunteer with a kid who, and I'm not the favorite kid for like, they all love hanging out with my son, but they do not love hanging out with me, right? So I'm not that fun. And I've had kids say, I hate you. I'm like, awesome. Another good week of volunteering, uh, right? Because I'm chasing kids around that have way more energy than I ever dreamed of. And, but at the end of the night, this is what I think. At the end of the night, if the divorce rate is 90%, even how tired I am after one day, how tired are these families after six days of the stress and the difficulty of, of managing kids and doing their very, very best, the least we could do is try and serve as a family and try and impress that. We're not going to go through all these things. I'll, I'll probably stop there. I'll probably stop there for this reason. Whenever you start talking about vision, on one level, you get energized, and it's usually when you have potential. Before you get married, you have this potential of what your marriage could be. And when your kids are really small, that is the best time to be a parent because all your kids have potential and they, they could be the greatest kids of all time and you could be the greatest parents of all time. And then suddenly you're 44 years old and your kids are moving out of the house and you look back and you say, oh my goodness, I cannot believe how many mistakes I made. And on one level, you know, I look up to my parents and I'd like to think my kids are looking up to me as a parent and my wife as a parent said, you know, they work so hard and there's, it wouldn't it be great if they just took all these great things that we did and they just implemented them in their life. But I think there's going to be plenty of things in the category of there's no way I'm never ever going to write down the gas prices in a book. There's no way I'm going to talk to my kids the times like I've talked to my kids sometimes. And there's no way I'm going to treat my kids the way my dad has treated me. And there's no way I'm going to do this and there's no way I'm going to do that. And there's a lot of self-loathing that happens whenever you look to the future, I think, especially when you look back. And I think for some comfort, that's what we need right now, at least I need as a human being that has kids. And as you step back and say, what is the vision for my marriage and what is the vision for my being a grandparent? Um, my wife said that to me not too long ago. She said, you know what, we worked really hard to think what our life is going to be from 20 to 40. And we haven't thought too much about what 40 to 80 is going to look like. And, and with that, that's a lot of the self-reflection. But I think of Psalm 23. We're going to look at three slides from it. So the writer, this is King David, and you're familiar with it. But there's one section I want to really hit. Um, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This is the newer translation, NIV 2011. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley uh, through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. That's a vision. Right? He's, he doesn't say, I, when I walk through the valley, I didn't fear. He says, when I walk through the valley, when I go through these dark times, and I think in your marriage, and as grandparents, and as parents who reflect or are in the midst of all the things that are going on, you're going to go through dark times. And you can have the same clear vision that David has. And he says, when I go through these things, I will not fear. And why is that? You can go to the next slide. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
you don't have to worry and you don't have to have self-loathing and you don't have to have all this guilt because God has given you abilities. You've done the best that you can. And at the end of the day, there is forgiveness that comes with a Savior that says, I had vision. When the world began, I had a vision and I saw you. And when I was putting things together, I saw your face. And you know what? I wanted you to be with me. And sure, you screwed it up. You made all kinds of mistakes. And because of your sin, you're separated from me. And God says, I've got a vision. And part of that vision, and when there is no vision, the people perish and literally perish. But God says, I've got a vision. And you're not going to perish. I am so that you can be with me forever. And so the psalmist with a vision says it this way, right? He's, this is his preferred future for what God has says. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me. That's the future all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is David's vision for his future. And why is that? Why? Because that's God's vision for you, is that you will dwell with him forever in peace and forgiveness of saying, God, you've given me these abilities to go out now and do the very best I can to put a vision, one foot planted in you and one foot planted forward no matter what we face as a family, as a couple, as a retired group of people who are getting ready to, to work in this world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for the ability of knowing that we stand forgiven. Uh, we don't stand to merit and, and to try and make our way up to you. Instead, you have entrusted us with, uh, some of us with kids. You've entrusted some of us with nieces and nephews. You've entrusted some of us with grandkids. And with that comes a responsibility. And where there is no vision, there is damage. And we pray that we can have a clear vision of what would it look like what could it look like under you to do the very best that we can to shepherd these souls, to shepherd our own souls as we move forward? Give us the strength and the energy to follow through on it and give us the encouragement knowing that we stand forgiven because of what Christ has done. We ask this in your name.